0: Will you take your Bible and will you turn to First Peter? I'm going to read a few verses and make some brief comments as we get the setup for what we're going to consider this evening, overcoming the disappointments of pain and suffering. I'm going to read 1 Peter in chapter 1 and verses 3 through 9. This is a very, uh, a very uh, condensed portion of Scripture for the subject of suffering in the context of a life Peter writes this, this is the same man with the Lord had alongside of him who said that uh, they're gonna, they hate me, they're going to hate you. This is the man who is in a jail. This is the man who has found that it's going after Christ has left them and has been left to go uh, to a lot of places, hard places, difficult places, suffered a lot of trials and difficulties and disappointments. And I want to read you what he says. So Are you with me? Look with me then. I follow along as I read 1 Peter 1, 3 and following. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, May be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him, and though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation. Of your souls. All right. Well, I would love to have, I'd uh, love to expound on that passage, but uh, having other times and places, let's go and let's look at uh, a lot of passages that come to this subject that we're going to consider tonight. <clears throat> a lady falls in the parking lot on her way to Bible study, she fractures bones in her neck, knee, and arm. She will require surgery and long heal time and therapy. Another lady falls on her way into, uh, into her place of work. She fractures her elbow. Surgery is required. In surgery, she aspirates and has to extend her stay in the hospital and faces extended recovery and rehabilitation. A high school competitive runner develops a stress fracture in the middle of track season. Running goals have to be altered. Disappointment sets in. I said the word, disappointment. You may think, really? Now, come on. If we're really robust in our faith and confidence in God, with a trial, a difficulty, no matter what kind of surprise of suffering it would be, could we ever say it was a disappointment? Disappointment. Aren't we, just, aren't we just ready for the next trial and rejoicing that we're going to endure it? Well, let's pull back. Yes, okay. You see something here that let's consider the word disappointment. Let's actually look at two words. I want to come back to the word overcoming. I need to make this uh, explanation each time. Let me say something, first of all, about overcoming, lest it be misunderstood, and I think think a time or two it has been from what i've heard overcoming is that work of the spirit of god in the christian believer's life of sustained strength during times of hardship i'll say that again overcoming is that work of the spirit in the believer in the christian believer's life of sustained strength during times of hardship it is flourishing in the midst of disappointments and affliction here listen to romans 12:12 12, 12. patient in tribulation here first timothy 6:11 pursue steadfastness it is the god given it is namely overcoming it's the god given ability to hold up under persecutions and hardship. Overcoming is not finding a way of escape out of trials, but persevering through trials. Now, I've said it four different ways, (laughs) so if you'll excuse my tautology, that I'm repeating myself and trying to make it very clear that overcoming is not going through a storm and then coming out in a smooth harbor. Or going through a storm and everything is like a bluebird day in May. Overcoming is sustained strength through the trial. And that trial may be a lifetime. What if you have a chronic illness? Or what if a divorce tears a marriage apart? Will you ever, ever be completely over that? No. Let's be realistic. And believe me. I am a realist. <laughs> and if nothing else, living 73 years tends to make one a realist. <laughs> so that is what I want to say about overcoming. So are we there? Are we together on what I mean by overcoming? Now let me just say something briefly about the word um, and combine that with this overcoming. Overcoming is a struggle, and it's strength through the struggle. But what about disappointment? I've hitchhiked just a bit on a title of a book that I will speak to at the conclusion tonight. A man that I know wrote a book entitled Disappointment with God. And in this book title and in the opening pages, this is the way the word disappointment is turned and explained. Disappointment occurs when the actual experience of something falls short of what we anticipate. Do you get it? Would you admit it? Then when you go through a trial, is it a disappointment? I don't know why I have just a twinge of feeling like I kind of need to justify the word. Uh, I can tell you this: that when Beth last summer, when she contracted this sepsis, this blood infection, we were disappointed. We didn't. We didn't say, "Lord, we're looking for whatever you got," and we got some kind of list that, uh, "Hey, pick pick your trial. We like that one. We'll take it." Your trials are like our trials, aren't they? You'd say, "Yeah." I would rather this not have happened. Now, that's not resigning yourself or giving yourself over to a lack of faith and unbelief that we could. But you're simply saying, whatever has come upon me that is, a, that is pain and is suffering, I'm, I don't know that I'm, I'm, I'm not signing up for these things. But, Lord, you're infinitely wise and loving. I receive it. Let me go at it this way. I'm going to take four lines of thought, four streams of truth. They're going to feed in to what I would like to think of, if you will allow me the metaphor here. I'd like to think of whatever the crisis of suffering is, whether it's huge or whether it's relatively small, pain and suffering. And you've got some tonight. Nobody's exempt. I would like to consider the experience of pain and suffering, the experiences of pain and suffering, as in the context of overcoming, as thinking along these four lines, and I'm going to liken them to streams that flow into the experience of pain and suffering. They flow into it. They feed it. Put it in another way, that when you encounter a trial, a letdown, a disappointment, that you're you. And what are you at that moment? How do you think? What's what's going on in your life? What about your attitudes? What about the things that you find out that you have really valued too highly? But whatever it is, and we're all there, we're never Complete and perfect in this life, that when we encounter trials, I'm presenting to you these four streams that I think should feed into that moment and essentially qualify us to be an overcomer. All right, let me take you through it. The first of these, I have four. The first of these is. Overcoming the disappointments of pain and suffering is a call to understanding the fallen world in which we live. This is uh, theology, well, almost 101, yeah, 101. I'd start with the doctrine of God if I were teaching a theology class. We'll come to that. But this is right up front, what kind of world do we live in? Well, we know this. That evil entered this world through the transgression of Adam. Scripture starts right out and puts us right in the world of, of realistic uh, history. Why are, why are we in the mess we're in? What's wrong with our world? What is wrong with me? Genesis 3, 1 to 7, Romans 5 and 12, death entered the world through one man, that one man to Adam. Now, the evil that came into the world... The tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you recall, was set up by God to explain what would happen. What is evil? It's everything that's contrary to the character and will of God. It's not a substance in itself. God's not the cause of evil. It's the absence of good, actually. But God is not the cause of evil and the suffering it brings. He rules over it, and he brings glory to himself through it. But we live in a fallen, broken world. Why put this point up front? Well, for this reason, that the evils of sin, suffering, and death plague both Christian and non-Christian. Now, I'm going to narrow the focus and say it this way, that the sufferings of the Christian as we live in a fallen, broken world, the curse of death came upon it because of Adam's disobedience, and everything came unglued that the Christian experience, because we live in a fallen world, is compounded. Well, you think, well, the unbeliever enjoys a lot of complications, do they not? You know, unbelief, um, you know, sin, living without God, creates a whole different set of circumstances. Isn't a Christian sort of uh, protected from some of those things? Yes, but let me give you this case. You know, because you're identified with Christ, according to John 15:18, if you're a Christian and you're identified with Christ, he said, "They hated me, they're going to hate you. You think you're better than your master? No. Satan's hatred of the Christian, you're in Satan's crosshairs revelation in 12:10. He's the accuser of the brethren. Satan does not like you. He hates you, and he has designs set upon you. And God gives Satan permission to do things to us in our experience. Job. And our identification with the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12:26, 26. 2 Corinthians 11:28. Because we're identified with other believers, <clears throat> with fellow Christians. That's going to bring some added difficulty trials. How so? Well, we could always say we, we sin against one another. That's true but also that we bear one another's burdens and when you really get connected with people their grief's your grief the more you love and the more you give yourself to others the greater the burden the greater the grief and there's another consequence of being a Christian compound suffering and that is disobedience to God's word well, read 1 Peter 4, 13 through 15. Look at the list of things that Peter says, if you do these things, you're going to suffer. I think the implication is Christians can, shouldn't fall into those, even murder. So therefore, what we say at this point with regard to the stream of truth that should flow into our thoughts about our own experiences of pain and suffering. We live in a fallen world. I'm a broken person. I live in a broken world. I have a sinful heart, and I'm around a lot of people with sinful hearts. As a matter of fact, everybody. <laughs> and therefore, I can look out in my world and I can say, well, look at nature's, just the forces in inanimate nature, like weather, earthquakes, windstorms, trees fall on houses. Have you had a tree fall on your house? I know some of you have. I have. Do trees Trees obviously don't just fall on non-Christian homes, houses. Uh, Have you had hail damage to your car? I don't think that I really need to run a longer proof of this truth, but I'll tell you what, it is one truth that's necessary. Peter says that you shouldn't be surprised at the trials that you experience. And I would think that, well... (laughs) So I look back over the sweep of a Christian experience over, what, 60 years almost, that it is possible that a young Christian, a new Christian, a new Christian could be fed a certain line of teaching that they think that because they've come to Christ, that therefore they're now in, a, in an unrealistic, synthetic sense that they're protected from these things and that certainly Satan is outside the walls and I'm safe in here. Wow, this is wonderful. Well, that concept won't last long. And when the storms begin to knock down the walls, then you have to reassess and think, what's going on? All right, I don't think I need to prove this to you any further, but I say it for this reason, that I do find that Christians who sit in emergency rooms, who get those phone calls that you never want to get, or when you sit across from the doctor and he's telling you what you don't want to hear, that one of the marks of a Christian who is steady as he or she goes and who is able to begin to work through this and overcome this trial is that, listen, I know what what I'm dealing with. I know what kind of world I live in. I know that I've got to break. How are you breaking? I know some of the ways I'm breaking. (laughs) We're breaking, and we go through these things. Now, I'm not suggesting that to sit and know that is going to solve everything and we can say, hey, I knew it was coming, I'm good, we're through, let's go. Let's take the next thing. The next stream of truth that I submit to you is that overcoming the disappointments of pain and suffering is an invitation to the truth that God is sovereign over, over human suffering. There is, to put it this way, and I quote from one author who said it, no trial reaches us apart from God's explicit decree and specific permission. So when I'm in the emergency room, I get that phone call, or the doctor just told me something that I didn't want to hear, or I'm, I'm, I am I'm, just survived a horrendous automobile accident, and I'm waiting, and I hear the sirens, and I've got to be taken in the emergency vehicle to the hospital you know I thought there should be it, it will come through my mind and I hope that it would have been such a part of me that I would have instinctively responding respond this way that this is not something that God in his infinite wisdom does not have his hands upon and is in control of and well we'll go from there all right let's just go through a few things maybe you're a little reluctant to admit this God is in control of the forces of nature. Mark 4 and 36 and 41, the storms that come, the droughts that take place, the earthquakes, whatever it is, that terrible drought they're having in California, the tornadoes that come through our part of the country from time to time, these kinds of things. God is in control over the thoughts and actions of humans. Proverbs 19 and 21 and Acts 16 and 14 and so on, that the, the mind of the king, as Proverbs says, and I paraphrase, is in the hands of the Lord as the water channels. God works over these thoughts. Every brain cell is in the hands of God and how it functions. These synapse, as they call them, the connections. as one thought connected to another thought and decisions that are made. God exercises control over Satan and demons. First Chronicles twenty one, one, Matthew four, ten, Luke and twenty one twenty-two and thirty-one. Jesus told Peter, Peter, when Satan gets through with you, <laughs> he's going to sift you like wheat. He's going to try to break you down and break you loose from your confidence in me. Maybe the Lord has Satan on a leash, but he is in control of him. Now, there's a lot more that could be said here, but let me put it this way. And I'm going to quote from a book where, and I'm going to reference it and say a little bit more about it later, but i want to reference it now. The quote that I'm giving you comes from this book by Johnny Erickson Tata and Stephen Estes, When God Weeps. God may not initiate all our trials, but by the time they reach us, they're his will for us. There is, in this book, if uh, you would like to get familiar with it, and there is an appendices, and in the back, one of the very lengthy appendix, it's uh, it's a list with the title of this Appendix A is Scripture on God's Hand in Our Sufferings. Whoa, whoa, whoa. It's, uh, it goes on, and it shows all the areas, I've just given you a little Whitman sampler of those areas where God's hand is on, in control of all our experiences. And this one is a lengthy and very helpful study in this area of God's control. So, therefore, when we use the word accident, I know what you mean. Insurance company, they know what you mean. <laughs> they surely will know what they mean, what you mean. But when we encounter these moments, these times, when some awful things happen to us, things that seem inexplicable and create a series of consequences, like our church staff, office staff, had to deal with a few weeks ago, power goes off and then they come into work and they found out that we've got just all kinds of complicated computer problems and the internet's down and then it just gets turns into a rat's nest of issues and it takes different ones coming in and helping plus our own people how's a Christian think during that time mad throw things what luck (laughs) Was it an accident? Well, God's not sitting in heaven laughing. Hey, showed you who's in charge, didn't I? <laughs> no, no, no. But I think the mindset of Joseph is what is suitable here. More than suitable, it's necessary. After his brothers, Joseph's brothers, Genesis, brothers had done some just terrible things to him, put his life on the line. I mean, we wanted to kill him. He ends up, uh, you know, he loses, he loses family time big time. He's sold off into slavery. He goes through years of trials and difficulties and hardships and losses. And then he has his brothers there. And what does he say to them? Well, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Grant us, O oh Lord, that strength of mind when we encounter trials, that we know that what is that stream of thought that should flow into those moments of times of pain and suffering? Yeah, I know I live in a fallen world. And I know that bad things can happen to good people, and I am not surprised. But, you know, I also know that God has his sovereign hand over everything that happens. And he's wise and he's loving. He's worth trusting. I know that. Well, those are two streams. Let's go to the third one. Overcoming the disappointments of pain and suffering bends the knee of the heart before the cross and empty tomb of Jesus Christ. I have a much longer study on the subject of pain and suffering. Some of you have been through that with me. I think it's about eight, ten hours or so. And I p- placed in that study, I have five chapters in that uh, the dissertation that I did in the presentation, uh, which it was primarily designed not to just be a, something that's in a book on a shelf, but it's designed to help people in the full of. Fuller treatment of this whole area of pain and suffering. I put this one right in the middle of the five chapters. It sits in there as chapter three, namely the Christ's suffering. I'll show you why. Let's walk through it briefly, and this is this is an overview that Jesus Christ suffered the full range of human sufferings and was tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Now, I've just plagiarized Hebrews chapter four and verse fifteen. <laughs> That he was tempted in all things as we are. In our longer study on this subject, I go through all the ways Jesus Christ went through trials and everything from having his family thinking that he was crazy and mixed up um, to the betrayal by one of his disciples and the failure of loyalty on the part of all his disciples, and then the ultimate brutality of rejection and being killed, beaten, and Jesus suffered the whole range in kind. Secondly, Jesus Christ learned obedience from the things which he suffered, Hebrews 5.8. He really did. Jesus Christ did not go through his life of suffering, dealing with temptation and all the other trials, pain, and suffering. He didn't deal with it in that he didn't have to deal with it. Like he was, he was impervious, some kind of spiritual bionic man, um, some kind of transformer, a machine, a robot, not at all. He faced those crises, and he had to, he had to realistically, he actually had to confront temptation, defeat it, and go on. For example, you know, the popularity that Jesus experienced in the early phases of his ministry brought tremendous pressure upon him, and he was popular. Popularity is not an easy thing to handle, and he was successful I mean, think of it. He could heal anybody. I've, I don't know. That, I wouldn't want that temptation that I could heal anybody. Whoa, I am. I don't know. Trust me. I Don't trust me. <laughs> Jesus had to deal with popularity, and Satan pulled it, tried to pull him out on this early on, and that was one of the temptations. Look what you could do. Hey, throw yourself down, and then you can just Glide. You can wind sail. And people would say, Woo! I'm impressed. Jesus knew better. That was not why he had come. He learned obedience to the Father's will. He makes much of this, by the way, Jesus does. You read through the Gospel of John, you get over into John in chapter 5 and verse 8, and you get in some really dense sections in John. And Jesus talks about this Father Son relationship, tightness of it, obeying the Father every step of the way. All right. God, in the person of Christ, entered into our fallen world and suffered for us, with us, and for us. He did this out of his unsurpassed love for the world. Love for the world. He didn't come begrudging what he had had to do. As the the servant of God, it was an act of love. The cross of Jesus Christ reveals God's answer to the problem of suffering. This is it. This is where you heard the old saying, all roads lead to Rome. (laughs) All roads and suffering lead to the cross. This is the resolution. The answer is found in the triumph of justice and love. They kissed at the cross. Justice says, condemned. You've sinned against a holy and righteous God, and there's nothing you can do to make up for that nothing nothing you're under his judgment but in god's infinite love in the person of christ in his vicarious atonement in setting coming and taking our place on the cross that love and the mercy shown to us that justice was then satisfied because he didn't deserve it and he took it thank you lord jesus and so therefore The cross of Jesus Christ and its great guarantee, the resurrection, reveal the door of hope for all who will believe. And I'll add this, that Jesus gave us the perfect example in suffering. I began this little short list by saying Jesus went through the range of suffering in his life. Think of the ways, and I only can suggest some things here because it's such, what a rich study, that Jesus endured his sufferings with great patience and consistent obedience. That is our standard. This is the gold standard. Not my husband, not my wife, not my children, not the pastor, not anyone else, not some great saint of old, as great saints have come and gone and left books and examples of great triumph and suffering. But the gold standard is Christ. Jesus saw the suffering as the opportunity. His suffering is the opportunity to bring glory to God the Father. John 17 makes much of that. This is for your to put your your perfections on display, O Lord. Your wisdom, your power, your love. That it will be made known. God's justice, God's compassion. So he did not return evil for evil in suffering. Oh he could have. Could he not have lowered the boom on the Roman the the whole Roman Empire? Every there would have not been enough Roman soldiers to have even begun to have been able to hold back the power of Christ if he had wanted to exercise that power as he came to the cross, as he stumbled along, bleeding and beaten, and vilified and mocked. Hey, if you're, if you're the Messiah, come down. Oh, could he have come down? And he didn't. He didn't return evil for evil. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. And bottom line, he entrusted himself to the Father in the midst of unjust suffering. 1 Peter 2, 23. He entrusted himself to the Father. Lord, your will. He Work through that very thing. I've not included it here, and it's obviously enormous in its in its uh, message to us. Is what Jesus went through in the garden? Oh, oh, oh! This cup, this cup of your wrath, dying for sin of which I'm not guilty. Oh, is there any way? Is there any other way, Father? No, your will be done. He was not. Make believing there. <laughs> he was struggling with what he had to encounter. He entrusted himself to the Father. Now, do you see something that comes through this? When I suffer, when you suffer, no matter what it is, I know I live in a fallen world. I know it's broken. I know that I can, it's a world where you can do stupid things. You can lock your keys in your car. You can. You can um, get in a hurry and you injure yourself. And then you go to the doctor and you get an infection and you spend the next year rehabbing. (laughs) Explain it. I live in a fallen world. And I know that God sovereignly has his control over everything. There are really no accidents. There's no stray molecule in this universe. If there is, God isn't God. And I know this, this stream of truth comes and feeds the moment it should that i know that god loves me and that god understands exactly what i'm enduring more so he's endured it he came he was here he lived in this world he knows what it's like he endured rejection and pain and suffering and on that cross he knows And the father knows the father knows how i feel because the father has a son who knows, and the son knows, the son knew how the father felt, and the father knew how the son felt, and you know, there's a reason that Trinitarian truth of the Father and the Son and Spirit it speaks of relationship. I'll be brief here, and it's not an easy it's not an easy account to tell, and I I'll be brief with it, but I will give a confession because I struggle with this very thing. Once upon a time, and not that I never have since or before, but it was kind of a, shall I say, an epiphany. <laughs> the confessions of a theologian and a pastor. And back in the 80s, when our son Eric began to go through some really, really difficult times. And it... It started with a call from a school, 1882. The school called us. They told us, well, Eric's passed out. Uh, They were describing this. this, Something's going on here. You know, as a parent, this is the call you don't want. (laughs) We have to go to the emergency room. And we... Well, it set up what you know is what how he was, Eric was diagnosed with that seizure disorder, epi- juvenile myoclonic epilepsy. It onsets usually this kind of epi- epilepsy at around 14, 15 in that age range. It was idiopathic. I don't know why. It's It's life. It's a life experience. I mean, you get it. You got it well, what's that mean? This was the 80s. Medications were not as, well, <laughs> the snake oils that were available. I say snake oils because that's what the neurologist, uh, neurosurgeon, taught. that was his word for it. We'd go in and say, well, let's try another snake oil. <laughs> so uh, anyway, we were trying to get medications. And, of course, with teenagers, you know, you got raging hormones going, your body's changing and all, and you're trying to get a medicational level, and it's nothing. You can't get prediction, and you'd like some kind of predictability. You know, that is true with any medicine, isn't it? Okay, this is this is going to stop it or or not heal it, but at least it will keep breakthroughs from happening. Well, they, it didn't, and we'll go into all those times and places and situations it just seemed to go from bad to worse. And then another phone call just after we had, we thought maybe there was some kind of, um, we passed through a threshold where there was, we created some continuity uh, of protection. And so it was at that time, you know, the rite of passage for a teenager is driver's license. I mean, this is an anxiety any parent has anyway. <laughs> what? My 16-year-old is going to go out and drive by himself or herself. Ah! <laughs> and then, but we, okay, so there there was another issue, you know, dealing with fear and worry. And Well, he was on his way. Eric was on his way. He got his license and been seizure-free for a, a while in state law, long enough. Then we got another phone call. And it was the, some of you remember and some of you were there. I'm, some of you were here tonight who were there. And when all this broke open, and we got a call, and and Eric had had a seizure, and he was driving, and he hit a light pole up in East Point, and how he survived—it was just the grace and mercy of God took the pole down. I mean, it was one of these big ones, and took him to um, took him to Grady, and while he was in Grady, that was at that time. This is part of a. That 1987 was an interesting year. Um, while we, he was there, we were calling Beth's father to tell him what was going on, and trying to get in touch with him, he didn't answer. Her mother was hosp- already in, in, a, in a hospital. She had had a stroke, and he was in, in the room by himself, and he had had a heart attack and died during the night. So we had to get Eric out of the hospital. We got got it fast-forwarded as best we could. Bless the hearts. Uh, the, um, Jim Stout um, he loaned us his van, and we got went to the hospital, got Eric in the van, and went to Nashville for the funeral. Come back from the funeral, stopped at East Ridge at the Morrison's there at the, at the mall, and we're going through the line, and I'm. Um, I just I noticed that they, he, Eric wasn't. There was a lack of coherence in his thoughts and what he was doing, and, and this was one of our more trying moments in the sense that it was a public moment where he had a seizure, mm-hmm. in in a restaurant. It was just it was just a horrifying experience from all the things that happened and, and such, and. Well, it was shortly after this that I was riding up the road one night. I mean, this was kind of an accumulative thing. And I was going up the road. It was, uh, I was going up uh, uh, 279 here, and I was going somewhere to speak uh, somewhere. It was nighttime. I was in the car I looking, and I just looked up at the sky. <laughs> looked at the, it was a clear night and the stars. And I just, I lost it. And I lost it, and I couldn't get in a closet, Vern, and I couldn't, get, I couldn't get anywhere else. But it was my, my, my automobile was my. I just hit the, I started pounding on the dash, and I was having it with God. <laughs> and I, and I, I spilled over, and and I say I lost it, and I became. Biblically irrational, sounds kind of theological. Too. It was more than that. It was deeply emotional. <laughs> I said "I said that God, and I, I, and I stepped into a trap of my own making. And I said, God, don't you understand? This is my only son. Why have we got to go through this? Silence. I didn't hear any voice. But I had a stream of truth that began to trickle and come. And this is the stream God said. He said his word. I do understand. God knew exactly what it's like to have a son. In that mysterious, infinite, Trinitarian way, it's the father and the son linked in essence, separate personalities, but yet the Father gave His Son. Do I think that my pain rivaled what God the Father and the God the Son experienced in those moments on the cross for my sin and that I have a high priest who is sympathetic and I have a Father in Heaven who knows exactly, exactly I mean, and to the the hundredth or the thousandth power, <laughs> he knew. It settled me down. I didn't make the trials go away, <laughs> but it settled me down. And I trapped myself, caught myself, heard myself. And this truth, this truth of the cross and the empty tomb, it was a, the presence of Christ, it was a sedative mean that in the best sense fourth and finally overcoming the disappointments of pain and suffering looks to God for meaning in all our suffering and seeks a God-pleasing response to it yes meaning and God-pleasing response now, I have to put in something here. It's not in your notes. And I have a much more expanded treatment of this point I'm about to bring up. I, uh, I, when I was doing this study years ago, I got curious about the responses in the Bible that you can find where they were not particularly pretty and good and right responses to suffering. Oh, well, that opened some doors. So I'm going to give you a sampling one that comes to mind, you know, the helping us to understand the difference between righteous anger and unrighteous anger, jo- Jonah. He had a pity party. He threw a temper tantrum. He did. Uh, it's quite the story. Yeah. Job, Jonah 4. And that's not the way to go. But, uh, you know, what's, what is really impressive is God's... Gentleness and kindness, when we throw our temper tantrums, they're not acceptable, but we, get a, we fall into anger. And there's Asaph, uh, Psalm 73 two. And you know, there's another way we can go, we shouldn't, and then we can blame God. Um, admirably, Job didn't. The Lord gives, the Lord, He takes away. you ever read that in Job, you're reading this, and he goes through all this stuff and just Lord gives, the Lord he takes away whoa, well, that's the end of the book. <laughs> no, more unfolds. But you know, when you go into the story of Israel, you see Israel really stumbled and fell here. As, soon as God, how would you like to have had the experience of just walking across the Red Sea dry-shod and look at all that whoa, look at that water up there. Mommy, mommy, look, why is that water not falling on us? And you go across the river and the, the, the sea, the Red Sea, and you get across and God does all these wonderful things. And as soon as Israel gets on the other side, it doesn't take too many days, and they're blaming God for their uh, they're hungry and they're thirsty. And they have a pity party and they blame God. <laughs> not good. Don't go there. That's not where we to go we are to go. <laughs> But I would say this. We need to distinguish between the struggles of faith and the despair of unbelief. There is a difference. I don't want to give the impression that when you go through your trials, your disappointments, your letdowns, that uh, you somehow have a steel-plated soul and that you're not going to struggle. And you'll, The way we are, you know, we have these, we have these emotional surges and lapses. We will take a step forward, two steps back. There is struggle in suffering. All right, let me advance. All suffering in the life of the Christian is for the purpose of making us holy. Hebrews 12, 5 through 12. And it confronts us with the opportunity to be conformed to Christ. Hebrews chapter 12. I would add also, spiritual endurance through the hardships of life stays alert to the hidden shoals that can sink one's faith. Spiritual endurance. And that we can watch we can be alert to ignorance, anger, doubt, hasty conclusions, blaming God, fear as I'm looking at my suffering through the lens of faith as I'm doing this, then I endure. I add this. The crucible of affliction is a call to prayer. Call to prayer. We hardly need to be coached on that, do we? Um, It seems to be instinctive in the heart of the child of God. When you get that call, when you get the news, when you find out that, those kinds, those moments, that what do we do? We go to the Lord and seek him. We go to our high priest, Hebrews 4 and 15, 4 16, 1 Peter 4, 7. And what do we do? Oh, and I love the Psalms here. Oh, I love the Psalms. They, there there's so many these lament Psalms, seventy of them, that we express our questions and our innermost struggles to God. And then you know, I think the Psalms they were they were written to help us just at this point. We run out of words, we're so exhausted emotionally and mentally, we can't put things together. Just pray the Psalm like a Psalm forty four. And meaning in the midst of suffering is found in ministry to others. Ministry to others. I will think about other people. How can I help? In my suffering, oh, I, I'm not here. Please, please, would everybody just come and just notice me and encourage me? Well, yes, thank God for the encouragement. But am I thinking of others? That's a very important uh, test for to determine that am I working, am I overcoming my disappointments, my pain and suffering, all right, how involved, engaged am I with other people, thinking about them, praying for them, checking on them, not just wrapped up in my own pain. Pain is a dangerous thing, isn't it? Because it's, my pain's not happening to anybody else. It's mine. <laughs> and you don't know what it's like. Well, i got to be careful with that one. And that's where you get is nobody really understands. I've gone through this and, you know, so-and-so. They didn't call or they didn't get in. Boy, you can just turn this into a banquet of selfishness. Lord, and I think of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, there's another example of suffering. I would add also, embrace the faithfulness of God without reserve. Embrace the faithfulness of God without reserve. I'm going to state these next two, this one and the next one, and then I have a series of questions and I need to conclude. That suffering faith lives by the promises of God. I will tell you this. Get your warehouse full of memorized Scripture, because I'll tell you, when it comes to suffering and things start happening real fast, you're you're on your way to the emergency room or you're in and out of, uh, of consciousness, and if you have the wherewithal mentally, if you can muster up enough mental uh, to do it's good to have some scripture that's just there. You know what I mean? It's It's there. You've been over it so much it just comes up. It's a pop-up like your computer <laughs> pops up. They aggravate me on computers, but... I like for scriptures to pop up in my mind. I want to con- let me go through some questions. All right. Questions: I, overcoming disappointment. These were questions that just started popping up after I'd done all this, and I, I had these questions. I, they're diagnostic questions with regard to your own disappointments. Uh, what do you expect? What do you expect? You, you want to do do you expect smooth sailing? God owes you something that hey you you're faithful, you're better than a lot of other people, so therefore you should get better treatment. What do you expect um who are you? What have you become? What do you want uh, what are your conversations with God like? Do you talk to him? often what do you talk to him about do you just bring him grocery list well he wants us to come ask and receive seeking you'll find not going to be open he said that but do you talk to god what are those conversations like do you read the bible or you do you read the bible i'm messing with you a little bit here <laughs> do you read the bible Did you just thread words through your mind or do you read it with thought do you get impressions? do you see when you read the bible oh god doesn't he really doesn't like that <laughs> or god this really this this pleases God what is your what is your view of God are you a are you a deist a deist does somebody believes god? Made the, he made the universe, and he's he's off on some tropical in another corner of the universe somewhere, having a vacation. And he's not connected with us now. <laughs> uh, do you have a church where others can help bear your burdens? Now, I'm speaking to the choir. But, you know, there are people who encounter trials, suffering, and you know what happens? They pull away from the church. They disappear. That doesn't calculate. That doesn't calculate. That no one should suffer alone. I don't know what I'm. I'm looking. I look around this room, and I know when my few trials. I see faces here of people who brought encouragement. Thank you, Lord. And you you probably do the same. And I conclude this question. Is Jesus a mere proposition to you or a real person? Is he a theological proposition or is he a real person? What I had intended at this point, and I'm really going to accelerate only out about a minute or two, and this was really worth... I I can just recommend the article to you that this is in April the 10th, or excuse me, 18th issue of World. It's called Starting Over. Mindy Bells has written this, and she writes this from her um, experience with some Christians in Iraq. It's posted here, Herbal um, or Beal. Iraq, uh, would it be fair to say that that could be a pretty difficult place to be a Christian right now? I think that would. And she describes what these people are going through. Talk about disappointments. Oh, my. <laughs> and the end is not in sight. And she goes into this, she goes into this meeting. It's a Christian meeting. It's a little church. She goes in this bedroom apartment where about 25 people were waiting to begin Bible study with the pastor. Like most, the unit houses two displaced families, 12 people in two bedrooms, one bath, and a modest kitchen. Quickly, one of the women came with a tray of coffee, then later sandwiches and sweets. Everyone settles in and opens their Bibles. This is a scary place there are, folks. And the church is only two years old. It's now about 70% of the congregation are displaced survivors of the ISIS onslaught. The Bible study covers basic teaching, and the group of earnest, unrushed, and everyone contributes is earnest, unrushed, and everyone contributes. It's remarkable. Some know their Bibles, and some are just learning. What they have in common is a terrifying night flight from militant jihadists with guns, leaving all they had that they knew and owned left behind. Moving for days, uncertain, sometimes circling back, not sure where to go, one of their numbers has tried to commit suicide twice. Now they feel safe and laugh in this circle of light. And the pastor, he says, he ends with Hebrews 2. He asks if they are learning in the midst of their suffering, and everyone nods, yes. Yes. The thing that has made me know God more, this thing has made me know God more, I am praying three hours a day, said one. I'm learning that church is not just a building. You can bomb the walls, but not really destroy the church, says a third. Amazing. I read this. Oh, my disappointments. I don't want to get into this comparing disappointments. No, it's... But anyway, there it is. Sounds to me like here's some people who are overcoming some disappointments of pain and suffering. I like this quote. I'll leave it for you. It's in your notes, isn't it? The one by Martin Lloyd-Jones. I don't need to reread it. I I will, though. (laughs) We must ask ourselves, as in the presence of God, the simple questions. Is my life based upon the faith principle? Am I submitting myself to the fact that what I read in the Bible is the Word of God and is true? Am I willing to stake everything my life included upon this fact? For the just shall live by faith. God, our Father, we thank you for your love, your tender care, your mercies to us. Most of all, Lord, that you came into this world, into this pigsty. It must have been that to you, O Lord. It must have been like that. You were, Lord, Lord, I speak to you, Christ, our Savior, You came into this world and you you knew what it was like to be in a place where there was laughter all the time. And then you came into this world where there's sorrow and pain, suffering and grief, death. And, oh, Lord, you laid down your life. Because you knew that laughter to which you would return, that joy. God, give us the grace to so live, so live. We need it, Lord. We need help will be true overcomers in our, in, in, in our pain and suffering. In Christ's name, amen.